All right. Here we are. Here we are once again. You know what I realized? I realized we missed out on an opportunity to name every episode, let's talk about, and then insert the subject. Because in the name of the podcast is Let's Talk About God. So it could have been like, let's talk about the Trinity. That could have been named the name of the episode that day. Okay, so I propose is that we redo this and we go all the way back and we start all over. Re-record everything. And re-record everything. Yes? Deal. Just no. for that name. Just no. for the names. No. We can just start now and change it. Yeah. I probably won't even do that. We'll just stick with being consistent. Yeah. But we'll I think people out. understand. I mean, ultimately, it all falls under God. Yeah. He is everything. He is reality. He is all in all. He is being. Nothing exists outside of him. Mm. I mean, think about it. I mean, everything is God without being God. We don't believe in pantheism, which means that all material things is God. We don't believe that. But yet, in essence, reality is God. If God did not exist, nothing else could exist. Or if anything— depending on him. Right, and if anything exists outside of God, then it's independent of God. Therefore, Which would make it God. Well, or a God, and it would diminish the deity of God that he wouldn't be God. Because by, by definition, God has to be all in all, greater than everything. Mm. By him, all things consist. Without him was not anything made that was made. So it's all yeah. it's all under God. I, if, I, our listeners right now are going, anyway. what? <laughs> what is happening to him? You're listening to this in the morning. Just pause, drink another cup of coffee, and yes. replay that. I'm going to pause and take a sip of mine see, right now. See if you can uh, pick up on that. I'm going to have to go back. Who's on first? I don't know. Again. Third base. <laughs> Sorry, little Abbott Costello there. Oh, my goodness. Hey, here we are. It is Christmas time now. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Doo, doo, doo. I hope that you have, oh my gosh. All right. I hope that you have gotten your gifts. The coffee's you, kicking in. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that you've purchased everything you need to purchase. <laughs> I hope that you've got all those deals. Hope that you're knocking it out, eating well, some good food. What are you going to get me for Christmas, Evan? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. Usually a gift card to. A sports store usually works for me because then I can just go buy what I want. Typically around December, you just rack up and then go get. I do. I usually rack up with gift cards and then I can go get shotgun shells or camouflage or fishing lures or. And your birthday is in January, so if you just have some patience, oh, you yeah. could just like really rack. Yeah, up. have tons of money. I've done that before. I've gotten gift cards at Christmas and then I would put them away and have them like six months later because I kind of wait for something I want. And then I oh I have like I have Christmas in June because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I go shopping. It's like second Christmas. Well, I went to Walmart last night because I had to pick up a couple things. Two things. I came out with like eight because I have eight? to. Oh, I have to go to the sports department and look around to see if there is anything that I need. And so I came out with a lanyard for my sunglasses and two fishing lures and. A pack of hand warmers for when I go deer hunting in Indiana mm. and stuff like that, and or here. So yeah, that's not really a smart thing to do. No, it, it's like you know, it's like an alcoholic going into a liquor store, a liquor store, <laughs> or you know, a person who smokes going by a you know pack of cigarettes. You know, I just need to stay away from the sports departments. <laughs> that's hilarious. Oh. Um, I don't know what I want for Christmas this year, honestly. 
I didn't even thought about it. Yeah, you got to let me know because me and your mom, we got to get you, you know, something. I know Elizabeth is already scheming to get me clothes. I'm one of those guys that That's true. unless someone else buys me clothes, I just won't buy them. No. I just won't buy them. So all the clothes that I've been wearing have been purchased by other people at Christmas time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious. Yeah, you'll have to work on that. I, your mom and I have this difference, and we've done better. But like when she goes, she doesn't shop. Leah's one of those people that just doesn't shop. But oh, when she does, she goes crazy. Oh, you know, or she might just find just she just starts. You know, I guess she figures she'll hit it all at one time while she's out. And me, I like to space it out. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I buy a shirt, especially for church and stuff. You know, I'm gonna wear because we're on television. You know, cameras and all. And so, like maybe. At once a week, every two weeks, I might find you know something and buy it. But I guess it's all. I, I guess I fall on it. the mom spectrum where I don't buy anything, and either other people buy them, or I just have to like drop some major cash and then don't buy again for a couple of years. Well, if you remember you, when you were a kid, and Jaron was this way too, you guys never really you weren't the kids that were screaming for toys all the time. We had so much. I don't know how. Well, we had those massive buckets. Did you, we steal those or yeah, something? Your, your grandparents probably had a lot to do with okay. all that. So when it came Christmas time, you guys usually got a really, really good Christmas because mm. throughout the year you just didn't really didn't want. I mean, we'd buy you stuff that you really didn't ask for, and so we we'd give you a good good Christmas. So I'm gonna tell my Christmas story and your brother. Go for it. So he's like five years old, and the way our house was designed. This is when we lived in Greer, South Carolina. Greer, all the people Greer. Are from Greer, and uh, we decided that year not to wrap the the gifts that we would do the just lay the toys out, you know, maybe put a bow on them. We did it one time. So we had been telling your brother, because you weren't born yet, we were telling your brother, Santa Claus is coming, Santa Claus is coming, you know, Santa Claus is coming. So the night before he goes to bed, Christmas Eve, there's just a tree, there's nothing under it. So that night he goes to bed, of course the gifts get up under the tree, you know, because mm-hmm. Santa Claus worked it, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Claus worked it. If you're listening and, to this in the car right now with your kids. Yes, we're being very just, conscious. Yes. Very conscious. The Santa Claus, <laughs> Santa Claus came. And so uh, we woke up. Well, he's still asleep. We, so we knock on the door. And we went in. I said, Jaren, wake up. I said, Santa Claus came last night. So I walk out in the hallway. He walks out in the hallway, and he can look down because it just kind of his door opens up in the open area of the den, and he can see, and he saw the tree. That the night before there was nothing under. Yeah. And now there are all these toys. And he looked, and instead of running to open the toys in his little mind, it freaked him out that somebody was in the house that night <laughs> and he ran back in his room and slammed the door. <laughs> and I had to open the door and go get him and coax him out. That's hilarious. I know, isn't that funny? <laughs> I never had that problem with you. No, but no, yeah, he freaked out. Go. God, that's funny. Yeah. That's funny his little brain could like put that together. Yeah, somebody, somebody was in the house. Somebody's basically. in the house and left toys. <laughs> Didn't take anything. They left stuff. That's hilarious. So there's your Christmas story, ladies and gentlemen. That's awesome. You know, Santa's one of those guys, he's like a human, but somehow he has supernatural powers. And that's oh, yeah. why today we're talking about the incarnation. Which is Jesus. Which is truly supernatural. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was like the smoothest I could do. I was trying to find some kind of punt or something that, to transition. That was not good. That was, that was you need to try it again. Or just, just, we'll just move on. We'll just move on. Today we are talking about the incarnation. A lot of people maybe not haven't even heard that word. What is the 30-second definition? What is the, the Christian definition of the incarnation? What are we talking about? 
Well, I don't know if I can give a 30-second, but incarnation is a word that comes from two Latin words, in carne. And um, if you've ever had uh, uh, Spanish, uh, if you get steak, it's carne. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pollo is chicken and steak is carne. So it's steak or flesh would be the the crude because Spanish comes from Latin. It's a Latin language. So carne originally in the Latin meant flesh. So in the flesh. So here's your 32nd. It's Jesus uh, coming in the flesh or maybe saying Jesus humanity uh, as a real flesh and blood manhood. That's good. So there you go. What's yours? So I said, the incarnation is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, coming to the earth as a human in every way except sin, without losing his divinity in any way. So basically, the incarnation is God the Son as one person with two natures and two wills. Man, yours sounds so much smarter than mine. Boom. Mind blown. But that's good. It is wild. The incarnation... Now, the reason that we're talking about this, like on a, on a serious note, the incarnation is one of those things that can blow your mind. Jesus, who is God, becoming a man, it can be difficult, it can give you that headache, but the incarnation, wouldn't you say, is one of those key doctrines that without the incarnation, the gospel is thrown out the door. You just You just throw it out the door. It is one of those things that is just so necessary to our salvation, and that's why we need to understand it and talk about it. It is as important as the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection. Absolutely. Because the crucifixion, ultimately the resurrection, where Jesus conquers sin and death for humanity's redemption, would not be possible without the death of a human. Mm-hmm. And there's no, there was no human, never has been, never will be, that would qualify to die for all of humanity. Yeah. So God, in his wisdom, said, I will become human, the God-man, and do for humanity what they cannot do for themselves. So the, the crucifixion couldn't have happened yeah. if it were not for the incarnation. So you're right. It is central. We often say that the cross is central to Christianity, that the crucifixion is central, that the resurrection is central to, hum- to Christianity. But I, would, I think you're right that the incarnation is central as well. And I think we see that in church history, too. This is just a key little point, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit when we get into the wrong views of the incarnation, but Christology, right, which is the study of Christ, right. that is one of those things that I think the devil will attack the most. Because if you can take Christ out, if you can remove his divinity or his humanity, like we just said, it's thrown out the door. They were even dealing with that in the Bible. First John, we think that, the Apostle John was dealing with a group called the Gnostics who said that Jesus wasn't actually a human. He just appeared to be human. Right. And John's already defending that. Satan's already coming for Jesus' humanity or his divinity for Christ because he's central to our salvation. So this is one of those key points we need to understand. And let's go ahead and go down that path for just a second. That was diabolical. Yeah. This is, a, this is not a group of philosophers disagreeing with a tenet of Christianity. This was a a concerted spiritual warfare, uh, a concerted effort by Satan because John said this is the spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist, yeah. Antichrist. So so that which is the complete opposite. And, and, Mm -hmm. and, And so it's not talking about the Antichrist person of the tribulation period, but the spirit of that. Yep. 
And the Antichrist in the tribulation sets himself up as God yep. and has no recognition of Jesus whatsoever. And you're right. If you can, if, if Satan can get you t- to doubt or question or remove either the deity or the humanity of Jesus, then he has, he has successfully chipped away at your faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. The early founding fathers of America uh, were Christian, but many of them were deist. Okay, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington were mm-hmm. deists, and they believed that God was the great watchmaker, that he set things in motion. You know, you get the watch started, not like today, but the, the classic watch that has the, the timing pieces mm-hmm. inside that move. You get it going, and then and that God would get things going, then he would sit back, and he would just watch, and he wouldn't have anything to do with the affairs of men. Yeah. Well, that's that chips away at... at that God being involved, mm-hmm. and well, that that would completely counter Christ coming to the earth, God the Son coming to earth. Yeah, okay, He didn't sit back and just He came down and got involved He's with Emmanuel, us. Emmanuel, God he, with us, God with us, and He always was with us. Yeah, and it's been that way since the Garden of Eden. It's mm-hmm. going to be that way throughout all eternity. Yeah, and uh, and then if He can get you to say, well, Jesus is just a man. He was a good teacher. He was a rabbi. He was a founder of a religion but he was just a man, mm-hmm. and that's it. When he died, he was gone. Then you've chipped away at, at, at the faith. So, yeah, this is a really, really important yeah. subject that we you have to have this one settled. Yeah, you do. That the baby, you know, we're in the Christmas season here, that the babe of Bethlehem, and just so that our listeners can get excited, the next podcast is the virgin birth. Yeah. As, as we get ready. Christmas story. Yeah, Christmas stories. We get closer. We're going to actually talk about the virgin birth, which is really, there's mm-hmm. cool stuff there. So you want to make sure you get you, you listen to the next podcast, and you're going to be right there around Christmas. Um, but 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 this is just, just to sum it up, this is, this is critical. It's just absolutely necessary. You know, we understand that babe of Bethlehem, was a God man. It was God in the flesh. Absolutely. Okay. And that's, it's not about, I don't want to get ahead, but it's not about lights and trees and toys and gifts and parties or being off work for a couple of days. It's about God came to this earth in flesh for us. That's good. Well, first, as we begin talking about this, like we always want to do, let's show how scripture reveals that Jesus Christ is God. And so what I'd like to do is, you know, especially in the Gospels, right, we get our picture of Jesus. So I want to start backwards. Let's start with the epistles and work our way up to the Gospels um, and how they how the entirety of Scripture reveals Jesus' divinity. So let's start with the Apostle Paul. Epistles are letters, by the way. Yes. In case somebody doesn't know what an epistle is. Yes. They might have said you said pistols. Oh, uh, yeah, the pistols. <laughs> yeah, there are pistols in the Bible. It's the Pauline the, pistols. The Pauline epistles. Uh, <laughs> they're Pauline epistles. Epistles is just a fancy word for letters. Fancy Christianese for yeah. letters. So anyway, go ahead. It's, so we'll start with what Paul was writing to the Philippians. Philippians 2.6, he says, speaking of Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That's something that later on this episode, that whole section, we're going to break down. But if we're just going to talk about quickly, what does he say? Jesus Christ was in the form of God, but he didn't count the equality a thing to be grasped. Therefore, he added that humanity to his divinity. He yeah, we'll, is God. Right. And, and we'll get to that later. We're going to really cover that in just a minute. Absolutely. Um, Colossians 1.15. He, 
He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, the image of the invisible God, that he is the express image, that he is um, not an offshoot, he's not an echo, he is the image of the invisible God, which shows divinity. And when it says that he's the firstborn of all creation, it does not mean that Jesus Christ was created. It means that what Christ has done vicariously for us, he is the first to do, and that he is the highest. Does that make sense? Right. The king, the top dog. Over <laughs> redeemed humanity. Exactly. Right. Yes. That's in relation to us who are brothers and sisters and sons and daughters yes. of God. He is preeminent because he is the one who made that possible for us to be in the family. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Paul calls Jesus God's wisdom in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 24 and 30. And if you look at uh, Jewish literature and wisdom literature, wisdom is often personified. It's seen as a person. And so as Paul calling Jesus wisdom, he's kind of putting that Jewish concept together of a personified wisdom and saying that's actually found in the person of Jesus, um, calling him deity as we see that wisdom sort of uh, associated with God, with creation in that Old Testament literature. First um, Corinthians 8, 6 says that all things exist through Jesus Christ. Before that, he says, God, the father created everything and all things exist through Jesus Christ. And Romans 8, 3 says that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. This shows that Paul sees Jesus as fully human, and he's not saying that he's in the likeness of a human. He's in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he is in flesh. He is human, but his flesh is not sinful like the rest of us. No, and don't anybody misread that scripture. That's not what it's saying. He, he's. You have to read all of Romans 8 to understand he's talking about the victor that we have over the flesh and over sin through mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, but how that and what he's trying to say. So we're picking one verse out. Yeah. But what he's saying was that it was Christ who came in the likeness of our of flesh that is sinful. His wasn't, but ours is. But through his work gives us the victory yep. so that that flesh cannot dominate us anymore. Yeah. There's therefore, Romans 8 1 says, There is therefore now, because this is verse 3, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, there's the key, mm-hmm. has set me free from the law of sin and death. So that's, that's what he was trying to say there is he had to come to be like us, to but set it, us free. who were sinful, but he was sinless to die so that we could be redeemed and our sins forgiven and removed. Mm-hmm. And then we could walk in in redemption uh, walk in obedience and righteousness yeah that's yeah. good let's finish out the pistols and then we'll hop in the gospels the other pistols um, the other pistol that we're really just going to focus on real quick is the book of hebrews so hebrews 1 2 says his son jesus whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world and so it's through jesus christ we're going to see in a second um, john calls him the word through the word, through Jesus Christ, um, that God created the world. Um, to be able to create anything with from nothing, you have to be God. And so he's elevating Jesus to this place of deity. And then we also see, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone 
for a little while he was made lower than the angels, which means he was human. That little while he was, which means he was human because the humans we're, we're, we're the Bible says that. And that's a, that's a, he pulled that from the Psalms. Yeah. That we're made a little lower than the angels and crowned with glory. And then Uh, it also means that before that he was higher than the angels showing that. That he was, yeah. that he is God, not was, that he is God, mm-hmm. and then he, then he became God-man, right, and then returned yeah. still to God-man. Well, let's talk about the Gospels. Now that we've made it through some of the epistles, um, in what ways do the Gospels reveal Jesus' divinity? So, for instance, um, you know, Matthew and Luke and John really reveal it, but even Mark reveals his divinity. Where do we see Jesus being the God-man in the Gospel of Mark? Um. Uh, well, Mark wrote to a Roman audience, so his is like a his. Mark reads. I love the Gospel of Mark more than any other Gospels because it reads like an action movie. It's fast. It's fast, and he uses uh, suddenly, mm-hmm. immediately. He uses these words that are action words, and yeah. he keeps you on the edge of your seat. Um, but, but you know, he did talk about how he was um, a God, but he, you know, he. He did show he was man as well, and I think it's just kind of a synopsis of his life. Um, the reason I ask this is because Mark doesn't have a birth story. No, he doesn't he, have an origin story for Jesus. So some people were like, well, Mark didn't think he was God and man. It's like, well, hold up. Just because he doesn't have a birth story doesn't necessarily mean Mark didn't put, put No, I, I think the stories that he told, he showed the humanity of Christ. And I think Mark used the story instead of where Matthew and Luke, of course, John didn't have a birth story either. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's more that and you could say that John really focused on the deity of Christ, maybe Mark a lot on the on the humanity yeah, of Christ. Yeah. And then Matthew and Luke kind of gives us the you know both sides mm-hmm. of it. But um but, but you know you you have here in in Jesus all of them all of them have like the um the 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 baptismal story. Okay, so you have that, um, the, the heavenly voice, the transfiguration, what we both talked those, about, yeah. both of those. Um, so you have this evidence um, that Jesus is, and what I think the Gospels do, I think the Gospels give you that clearer picture of of how he's God. And how he's, okay, so for, for example, we're, we're kind of staying broad. Let's just get specific. Like the, the, the deity of God. All right, so he's called Lord, mm-hmm. he's. We, this is you don't really want to give the devil allow the devil to be credit, but even you know, when he cast out demons, we said we we know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son, of the Living God. Yeah. Okay. He showed his power over diseases. He healed all manner of sickness and diseases. He raised people from the dead, which only a divine being can do. Mm-hmm. So they're recording this, whether it was the widow, the son of the widow of Nain, or whether it was Lazarus, or whether it was that twelve year old girl. Um, only God can do that. I think the greatest example, well, there's two to me that really stick out that the gospel writers want you to know he's God is that he forgave sins. Yeah. He, he And then we tell people, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven you. And that freaked out and troubled the religious people of the day because they actually said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And that was the point. Yeah. That was the gospel writer's point. They quoted the Pharisees who said that because they didn't believe him. But John and the others who did, they said, yeah, that's our point. Yeah. Only God can forgive sin. This, this guy's God. Yeah. And then he would receive worship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so only God can be worshiped. I think we even see, too, a few things um, like him conquering nature. 
So for instance, walking on the water, calming the storm and the seas, it left the disciples going, who is this guy? Turning water into wine. Yeah. He, trained, he, he he created the laws of nature. We, we just recognized them and have verbalized them, but he created them. They exist because God created them because he created all things so he can transcend them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he rose through the air. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, do went, what he wants. went back to heaven. Um, so, yeah, um, he has that, that ability to, 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 uh, to do God things. And that was the point of the gospels. Yeah. But at the same time, they wanted, they wanted us to see his humanity. Yeah. So shortest verse in the Bible, uh, Jesus wept. We're at Lazarus tomb, two verse, two words, Jesus wept. I said, he cried. He got tired. Uh, he got hungry. He got thirsty. You know, on the cross, he said, I thirst. Uh, he felt love. He felt compassion. So we saw the humanity of Christ. That's what the Gospels do. Yeah, The Gospels paint the picture of God in flesh. Yeah. Um, and then finally, let's talk about the Gospel of John, because I think the Gospel of John is the most explicit Gospel in this area. If you want to talk about, like, just straight up talking about it. So John and his opening whatever you would want to call that dialogue um, kind of kind of prologue t- to his gospel. He's got that just famous, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God um, where Matthew and Luke give us the birth narrative of Jesus coming to the world. John is focused on Jesus's preexistence that he is God and he's always been, he was God and he was with God forever which I think is is key to understanding Jesus's divinity. If you're going to question that, he's pointing out, no, Jesus has always been. Right, and then he went on verse 2, and the same was in the beginning with God. And yep. verse 3 says, And all things were created by him, and was not, and there was not anything made without him that mm-hmm. was made. Yep. And so that takes you all the way to Genesis 1. And when we say God created the heavens and the earth, and our mind— Oftentimes we think of God the Father, but yeah. the, the you, you can't separate. And this, we're always going to go back to episode one. Yeah. You can't separate the Father from the Son from the Holy Spirit. All all three of the persona of the one God were there at creation, and working so that's what together. working together. Because verse three says in the Spirit in Genesis one, and the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. But John wants us to know as he's beginning this this story about this man called Jesus. That before you see him as a man, you got to realize he was God. He was God before the world was created. He was there when the world was created, and and he's something special. And he's not just God, but he's the Word, and he calls yeah. him the Word. And, and that's the logos in the Greek, and that's a really important word, yeah. Uh, because the, everything we know about God is through His Word. Well, He wants us to know that it's not just it's not just God the Father, that God of the Old Testament that is so prevalent. But it is God the Son who is the living word. That his words communicate. The Son here is to communicate God. God. Literally right. who God is, so to be the, his image. That's why he's here. That's yeah. what John's one. I think that again gets back to the gospel mm-hmm. writers. We'll get to that towards the end of this episode, why he came. Yeah. Um, but you're right, Evan. In John, there are some tremendous scriptures. I think John one fourteen is the biggest one that fits what we're talking about. John said, and the word became flesh. Mm. Now, that's the incarnation. So even though the word incarnation, by the way, is not in the Bible, because it's a word that we're using to describe what's in the Bible, there it is, John one fourteen, And the word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. Yeah. And we beheld his glory. 
So he said, the glory of the, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So there it is. John, in one verse, that's, that's probably one of the most important verses in the Bible, said, mm-hmm. God became flesh, lived among us, tabernacled among us, just like the tabernacle in the Old Testament was carried along with the children of Israel through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Here's Jesus walking along with us through our wilderness experience as we're on our way to heaven. He was walking along, tabernacled among us, and he said, just like the glory of God would come down in that temple in the Old Testament, we beheld his glory. But it wasn't a divine Shekinah glory, a glow or a fire by night or a cloud by day like the Old Testament, but it was the glory of God evidenced through his life through what he said through what he did it was a life of grace and it was was speaking words of truth Mm. which is grace and truth is what liberates us from sin and changes our lives and transforms us it's an incredibly powerful verse but that that's john 114 um if you go to say john 10 36 um jesus actually said i am the son of god wow you mean you read it he said i am the son of god because he told him, he said, you're, there was a group of people that were adversarial to him. They didn't believe in him. And he said, you're struggling because I say I'm the son of God. So he he declares it. And then in John 10, 30, he said, I and the Father are one. Mm. So if you say that you're one with, with God the Father, you're saying you're God. Yeah. So you're right. There are some passages in John that literally are... Um, explicit. explicit about him being divine. Yeah. Okay. And then um, the I am statements, you know, the seven I am statements. Mm-hmm. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine and you are the branches. I am the good shepherd. I am the doorway of the sheepfold. Mm-hmm. Are you impressed that I knew all seven was, of those? That was great. I knew. That I, was awesome. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pat myself on the back right now. <laughs> but those I am statements, are they're so revelatory or revealing of the nature of God and who God is. Mm-hmm. But the key is you go back to I am. I yeah. am. Well, if you go to the Old Testament, God is the great I am. It's It's the... It's the word that what we put in English is the word Yahweh. Yeah. It's the God of covenant. Jehovah. Jehovah at Lord, capital yeah. L, capital O, capital R, capital that's, that's I am. Mm-hmm. Okay. To be God, the gods. And there is actually the statement where Jesus is talking to this crowd that's adversarial. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And they picked up rocks to stone him. That's because crazy. they thought he blasphemed and claimed to be mm-hmm. God. Well, he wasn't blasphemed. He's just telling the truth. But he did claim to be God. <laughs> because he is but God. he's telling the truth. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, John really goes to great lengths to say this man, this man named Jesus is God. Yep. Okay? And yet he shows his humanity and how he loved people and how he forgave people and how mm-hmm. he helped people. So, yeah, John, John does a, John's gospel is really critical yeah. to understanding it. Absolutely. Well, I think it's pretty clear that Scripture reveals Jesus as both God and man. But as we begin now to transition into church history, we realize that the conversation about Jesus' incarnation was never just simple. It was never just like, all right, everyone accepts it. No one ever questions it. We even talked about John in 1 John already having to deal with that Gnostic heresy that says Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. And so... As we look at church history, we realize that the incarnation becomes a big deal. It becomes a point of contention. And so now the church actually has to work together, study the scriptures, remember what's always been taught, and fight for the truth of the incarnation. Um, So we talked about Gnosticism. That kind of got put down. The biggest thing, the biggest heresy that started it all 
was a heresy called Arianism. Arianism, right. Fourth by this guy named Arius. He was actually a Christian bishop, but he got his understanding wrong. What he said is that Jesus is a created being because he is the only begotten son. He said that he's not quite human, like he's the highest created being, but he's not God. He's not the same essence or substance as God. And so who... Like he's a little bit more than an angel. Yeah. angels are created beings, but yeah. he's higher than the angels, than the angels. But he's not God. He's lower than God. He's kind of like Hercules or some other uh, whatever. <laughs> I'm just making some stuff up, but um, you know what I mean? He's yeah. he's the highest created being, but he is therefore a created. Yeah. A demigod. a demigod. Right. And so at the time, Emperor Constantine, a Christian emperor, the Roman Empire, called this council together to settle the debate in the city of Nicaea around 325 AD because this was causing big contention. People were choosing sides. People were arguing about it, and he basically said, all right, enough is enough. We're going to have to talk about this. Thankfully, at Nicaea, they ultimately concluded that Jesus was both God and man at the same time. You'll hear this Greek term, homoousios, which literally just means homo, same, substance or essence, that Jesus was not some other kind of being, but he is of the same essence or substance as God the Father. He is of the same nature, is what we would say that would make it clear. Um, A huge player during this time was a man named Athanasius. Um, It was actually said that Arianism had taken over the world. And there's actually this phrase um, called Athanasius contra mundum, which is Latin for Athanasius against the world. Um, It it got so bad that the whole world believed it, but Athanasius actually stood on the truth and wasn't going to let anyone stop him. He was a bishop of Alexandria for 45 years, and for 17 of those, he was in exile. I mean, he was making emperors mad and high officials mad and Arians mad who just had some, you know, influence and power, but he wasn't going to back down. And obviously there were some other players there too. And he wrote this book called On the Incarnation, which is just a, a masterpiece and through the grace of God won the world back from Arianism and defended uh, Christian orthodoxy. Yeah, when you say world, crazy. the Christian world. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah Christian, the Christian and world. what would really been the church. Yeah, because there weren't, you know, really a bunch of denominations. There was at that point. I mean, there's the church. You're talking about the first 300 years, the first three centuries after the, the birth church. of the church was just the church. Yeah, and this was a big deal. And so basically, they came to this conclusion, and in the first council, which is the gathering of the church leaders, the bishops in Constantinople in 381, they clarified the Nicene Creed. So it. You know, it happened in 325, but they clarified it again. And so this is the Nicene Creed that you'll hear today. And so I just I just want to read it real quick because here's what they said. I think you'll appreciate some of the language and it'll clar- clarify some things for you. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. Now, here we go. Here's, here we're talking about Jesus. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of the same essence as the Father. Through him, all things were made. 
for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, suffered and was buried. The third day rose again, according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And then it goes on to speak about the Holy Spirit and the church. That language in there is so explicit and so important for our understanding of God, and that's why they wrote it like that. I love pointing out, um, he says, begotten from the Father before all ages. So Arius says, well, Jesus is begotten. He must be created. What do they mean, just real quickly, we could dive into this for a long time, when they say that Jesus was begotten from the Father before all ages and later that he was begotten, not made. There's this doctrine called the, um, you know, the, the eternal generation of Jesus or the eternal begottenness of Jesus. What are they saying? Well, I, I know my understanding of this, and, you know, you can obviously comment on this as well, but in, in, in Holy Council and from ages past, God within the Godhead, there's been an understanding of the roles of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually uh, an accepted hierarchy I don't know if that's the greatest, best word or structure. Maybe, maybe structure. A, be yeah, a less be word. Better. Hierarchy kind of th- creates that there's a superiority. And, yeah, yeah, but a structure, mm-hmm. probably the better word, of of in the Godhead, and it's 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 intentional. Yeah. So that the son submits to the father, even though he's equal to the father. So it's a it's a self submission. Yeah. And the in the spirit to the son and and to the and so. Um, and and then there are these roles that were established in eons past, okay, in anticipation of the creation of earth and man, and in and in the function and roles that God in the Godhead would have with mankind, with its creation, its fall, and ultimately its redemption. So so when he's begotten again, it's like you said earlier, it's not that he was made. It's more of a, it's more of a, it's a relationship function. It's a relationship function, and it isn't for the sake of God and the Son. Mm-hmm. It's 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 ultimately for us in understanding who God is, and how God operates in His nature, and ultimately how we relate to God, and how the Son relates to the Father helps us in how we relate to God. I think yeah, I think it's crazy that it says um, He's eternally begotten because when you think of begotten or generated, right, you think of a father. Um, and then you have a son. The son comes from the father, literally, physically. Well, Jesus is not created, but in this mysterious, incomprehensible, incomprehensible way, he is begotten of the father. And it's that strictly relational term, because he's never created, but he is begotten. I think you're using the right terms. It's not a creational Term. It's, it's a relational term. So it's not yeah. about his beginning or his the source of his origin. He, he's God. He's eternal from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Because when you think about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not begotten from the Father or the Son. No. He proceeds. And so it's all relational. And right. if the Son did not generate from the Father, the Father wouldn't be the Father. Because without a Son, <laughs> you can't be a Father. It's all no. in, in that relational, the way that the Trinity works together. Right. So that's just that clarification there. And then I love that he says, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. They're going at these, they're taking just great pains to just show 
this is God from God. He is still God. They're making that point right there. Yes, he is generated eternally, but he's not created, and he's of the same essence. That's right. what they established. And I think there are other t- other councils where they dealt with more of that, that they're one in essence and power and glory mm-hmm. and substance. And so th- this was their attempt at, b- at trying to get that established. Yeah, uh, And that's why it, I think it's interesting that we started this whole, let's talk about God with the Trinity I think yeah. that was probably the perfect place for us to start because yeah. we're going to always keep referring back to that. Yeah. Is that um, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one God. Yep. And you cannot, because now you're talking about the, a person of the Godhead, one person, and, and, the da- and because he became a man, that's the danger is that you differentiate him, separate mm-hmm. him, create division. You can never you do that, and that's what they were fighting here. Yep, and that's what we're going to make sure we don't say today <laughs> yeah. at any point. You have to be careful. You have to yeah. really think through what you're is, about to say. Is that he was, is, and always will be God? Yep, equal to the Father, equal to the Son. Yep, the same in essence, nature, substance, power, glory. Yep. Now the next thing we need to do is we're going to talk about a second council, and then we're going to talk about why is this all important? What does this mean for my life? But there was a second council called, is it Chalcedon? Is, that what, is it Chalcedon or Chalcedon? I think it's Chalcedon. I'm, I don't know. There's a council, there's a council um, at Chalcedon much later on. And here's the reason we need to talk about this. At Nicaea, here's what they settled. That God the Father and God the Son are the same essence, the same nature. Or substance, Jesus right. is God and God the Father is God. But now, with that settled, there's all these questions of like, what in the world does that look like? And fresh heresies. Yes, fresh heresies trying to describe, all right, well, we're we're on board. Jesus is God. But what in the world does that mean for him? How in the world does it play out that he's God and man? 